Okay, thank you, Elder Benny. It's such a joy to see the parents and children dedicating uh, themselves to God. And you know, as sometimes when we go to this uh, wedding ceremony, uh, sometimes the, the preacher or whoever this officiating will tell us, you know, for those married couples who are already here, as, as this couple that you see here uh, doing, uh, having their wedding today, uh, do their vows, it's, it's good for us to also, you know, do the vows again uh, to one another as, as already married couples. And I think as we see the baby dedication here, you know, for those of us already parents, it's also a good reminder to us, right, uh, that we should continue to dedicate ourselves to the task of bringing up these young ones in the Lord. Yeah? Okay, let's start on the book of Daniel. Let me uh, use, uh, today I'll start off with Daniel 1 and 2, so let me use that as a, to set the stage really for the book of Daniel by giving us, giving us the background and the overview so that we can understand and learn from this book over the next two months. Now, by way of introduction, it is, I think, useful for us, especially for us who may not be so familiar, uh, to know who is this Daniel, you know, that this, uh, this character that this book is talking about? And what's happening to him? And where is he? And what time period or when, you know, is, are these events occurring? And why is all this happening? So let's take a look at Daniel, which explains that. We'll start reading from the beginning of Daniel, chapter 1. And it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So we see the stage is set in uh, Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom of Israel. And actually, God had already warned Israel that if they rejected him and if they turned to other gods, he would, they would cease to be a self-governing independent country. And God would remove them from the land. And this had already happened to the northern kingdom of Israel about 100 over years before this that we are reading now. And the northern kingdom had already been taken captive by the Assyrians. You can see they're brought to Assyria. And now because Judah, the southern kingdom, also disobeyed God, he was also taking them away from their land. Because, and they were going to the land of Babylonia, which is now in uh, modern-day Iraq. And they are taken by the, the king right, to Babylon. And actually, Daniel and his friends, later on we shall read, is the first group of people to be taken by King Nebuchadnezzar uh, to Babylon. And later, King Nebuchadnezzar will come back again and take a bigger group of about 10,000 people, including the prophet Ezekiel. And then even later, a third time, King Nebuchadnezzar, because... The remaining king in Judah upset him by rebelling against him. He would, king Nebuchadnezzar will again come and destroy the city of Jerusalem. He would destroy the temple, he would destroy the palace, he would destroy the important buildings in Jerusalem, he would even tear down the city walls. And he would deport all the remaining people to Babylon, just as God had said earlier, because they didn't obey him. So let's go on with Daniel. And it says, Then the king ordered Espenaf, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. 
And among those who were chosen were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So as we said, among the first group of the exiles was Daniel and his friends. And the Bible describes them not only royal family, you know, but they were handsome and smart and capable. And actually, they were put into the most prestigious scholarship and management associate program of their day. Right? They were put on a three-year training program after which they were supposed to enter the king's service. So they were all geared up for a fast-track promising career. And not only that, they were actually supplied every day to be supplied with the, the food and the wine that comes from the king's royal kitchen. But Daniel records for us, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So this is our first encounter of, of how, what is Daniel like, and we see that Daniel is actually a God-fearing and a God-honoring man. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal about not eating the food that's given by the king? Because the Jews actually had a dietary law which God gave them, a special diet that actually is supposed to tell that they are supposed to proclaim to the rest of the nations around them that I am holy people of God. And so therefore, I only eat certain foods and I don't eat other foods. And Daniel wanted to honor that which God has given. And so Daniel chose not to eat uh, the food given by the Babylonians king. And so he managed to persuade the official in charge to feed them, instead of this wonderful buffet stuff, to feed them vegetables and water. And after 10 days, they look actually healthier, more nourished, or in some of your Bible versions, it says fatter in flesh, right? Which explains why I try to eat more meat, not vegetables. Because vegetables are very fattening, it's scriptural. Huh? <laughs> and so Daniel and his friends honoured God's commands and honoured him. And it goes on to say, to these four young men, God now bless and honour them. God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So you can see they not only graduated the top of their scholarship and uh, MA Management Associate batch, they were even better than the, the king's uh, council. You know? And in fact, Daniel was so highly regarded that actually he remained in the king's courts when the, he went on to successive kings. And even when they changed from the Babylonian to the Medo-Persian Empire, Daniel was still you know, in the king's courts. So highly regarded was he. Okay, so that's a bit about Daniel and what's happening. But what about the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel, very quickly, just to tell you that he has 12 chapters, okay? And it's very quite neatly divided into two parts, right? And the first half records mainly the history of what's happening to Daniel and his friends. 
And it also gives us some glimpses into the history of the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian Empire. And for the second half, it talks mainly about prophetic revelations, which God has given dreams and future, uh, dreams and visions to, to show us what's going to come in the future. So in this sermon series, we will do it over eight weeks. Uh, in October, we will mainly cover the historical accounts in Daniel. And in November, we shall talk about all the prophetic revelations, uh, which is quite interesting. Now let's just talk about the timeline uh, of the book of Daniel. If we look at what Daniel recorded about his life, actually it spans from about the year 605 BC when Nebuchadnezzar came to invade Jerusalem and took them away, all the way until the Medo-Persian Empire uh, in about 536 BC, so uh, 70 over years, right? And the King Cyrus uh, was the king at that time. But if we look at the prophecies that Daniel covers, the timeline of the prophecies actually stretches all the way from the Babylonian Empire through the three succeeding empires, which is the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and later the Roman Empire. And eventually even talks about the end, right, when Christ will come uh, and put his eternal kingdom in place, and which is yet to come. So the time span that the book of Daniel actually talks about ranges over 2,600 years, and we're still counting. So therefore, you can see it's a very uh, important prophetic book for us. Of course, some of the prophecies have already happened and fulfilled. But for us, in this day now, we are reaching towards the end of that uh, line, right? On the right. It also tells us between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming, what is going to happen in our future until the end of the age. And here I just want to quickly address the issue raised by some liberal critical scholars, right? Who have cast doubts about when the book of Daniel was written. And therefore they bring into question the validity and the credibility of the contents of the book, particularly the prophetic parts. Now the liberal scholars cannot accept that Daniel contains such accurate predictions about the succeeding Greek and Roman empires, which is after Daniel's time. And even spells out in amazing detail uh, some of the things that happened, like the desolation of the Jerusalem temple by this uh, Greek Seleucid king, Antiochus, that happened in 168 uh, BC. And so the liberal scholar says, Daniel cannot be a prophetic book. It must be a history book that is written that means Daniel cannot be written at this stage. It must be a history book that's written after all these things happen. Right? But let me give us some reasons why uh, that is not the case. Okay? So just two reasons. Number one, actually Daniel was already a book that was included in the Jewish Bible, which is the equivalent of our Old Testament. Uh, which, and that was already done by about the year 200 uh, BC. Okay? And also the Greek translation of the, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible, was also done around that time. Uh, and Daniel should have been completed by the year about 180 BC. So all this is before uh, those uh, events, like the Jerusalem temple being destroyed, uh, takes place. And the second reason is that linguists have studied the language of the book of Daniel, and they say that the Hebrew and the Aramaic language 
in which it's written is, resembles more closely that of the 5th century BC than of the 2nd century BC. Uh, so those are two good reasons. Uh. And it means that actually, what it means for us is that actually Daniel can be believed to be an autobiographical book which is written by Daniel, written around the time of his death. And it's not written by somebody else who's pretending to be Daniel. And in, therefore, it is indeed true prophecy and not history masquerading as prophecy. And therefore, we can take the prophecies in Daniel as reliable and worthy of our attention. And we need to pay heed to them. Okay, now that we have established that, let me go into Daniel chapter 2. And I, I said that the first six books are, are mainly history, but there is a prophecy. And the first prophecy in Daniel is actually given in chapter 2 and is made to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. So Nebuchadnezzar had such bad dreams that he was troubled by it, and he actually called all the wise men in his kingdom, right? And he told them, please interpret the dream. Well, I don't think he said please, huh? Interpret the dream for me, yeah? But the king didn't want to tell them the dream, right? He expected the wise men to tell him the dream and then interpret the dream for him. Now, of course, the wise men were all perplexed and confounded. They said, how can we do that, right? So they appealed to the king to tell them the dream so that they could interpret the dream. But the king refused. And it's recorded for us in Daniel. The king says, tell me the dream, told the wise men, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. But they were wrong. Eh? What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. So you can see what the Babylonians thought about the gods and what they did. Right? That was their worldview. And this so upset the king that he ordered that all the wise men be killed. But when Daniel heard about it, he asked the king for a grace period so that he could come back with the interpretation of the dream. And so it's recorded for us. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to his friends and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. So you can see Daniel had a very different thought about God. And, and you know, different from the Babylonians. His God was a God who was actively working. His God was a God that when he prayed to would come and do something. His God was a, not a God who doesn't involve himself uh, with the affairs of men. And it goes on to say, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven and Daniel said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, 
I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Then Daniel went before the king and the king asked him, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man Enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. And he goes on to, to talk about the dream. He says, You, O king, saw a great image. This image is mighty and exceedingly bright. And it stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. And the head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floor and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream and now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, you are, you are the head of gold, whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. And then he says, after that, another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. And, and now in the hindsight of uh, knowing what happened, we know that it's, the, it's talking about the Medo-Persian Empire. And yet a third kingdom of bronze shall arise to rule over all the earth. And, and now we know that that was the, the Greek kingdom, right? And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, which we know now is the Roman Empire. Because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. And they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. But importantly, and this is especially important for us because this hasn't been fulfilled, right? And in the last days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall happen after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. So, the Nebuchadnezzar was just astounded. How did Daniel know what he dreamt when he never told anyone about it? Right? And it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. 
And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made the request of the king and he appointed his friends over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So after hearing the prophetic revelation and even understanding the meaning of it, there's one important question left to ask, I think. And that is why did God inspire Daniel to write all this? In other words, what is the message? And especially, what does it have to say to us? And the answer, I think, is this. Both from Daniel's record of the history of what happened to him, as well as the prophetic revelations recorded by Daniel, God wants to send us a clear message that you and I, we serve the God of gods, the sovereign God, and He reigns. So as we read the history accounts, it's really Daniel's testimony to us, you know, saying that, look, look at God's hand that took, took all these events in my life, that helped me in all these events in my life. For instance, God delivered Jehoiakim into Babylonian's hands, but he brought me into a place of favor. And God granted favor, you know, when Daniel asked for the menu to be changed, right? Just imagine, why would the king's official want to change the menu? His head would be on the chopping block, you know, if anything was found out that he disobeyed the king's order. But he says, God granted favor to the official, and the official changed the menu for me. And as we read just now, he recognized God gave knowledge, God gave understanding, God revealed the mystery. And God sets up kings and deposes them. And, and through all his life, as he reflected on his life, Daniel realized that it was God who brought him to Babylon. It was God who appointed him and his friends over the, the province of Babylon. And he could see God's hand. That God was in control. That God was watching over him. And in fact, actually, if you look at the life of Daniel, he did many things which nowadays we would consider what we call career suicide move, right? Number one, he asked for the menu to be changed. You know, you are given royal food and you ask for the menu to be changed, right? And then actually, he actually told the king Nebuchadnezzar a lot of bad news, right? Uh, he told him that, hey, you think it's your, your, your greatness that brought you to be a king? No, it's God who made you the king, Right? And God is going to bring another kingdom after you that will rise up and take over from your kingdom. So all this bad news, he actually told the king. But despite all this, we see that, you know, just barely a few years after graduating from the, the training program, Daniel became the ruler of the province of Babylon. So God continued to preserve and continued to actually prosper Daniel. And I think most fascinating is how God set up for Daniel's message to be received by the king. You can imagine if, Daniel, uh, if King Nebuchadnezzar shared his dream and asked for the interpretation, right? Somebody could just cook up an interpretation. And when King Nebuchadnezzar received the interpretation from Daniel, he would be thinking, don't know whether this guy is telling the truth or not, right? And then on top of that, he's telling me all this bad news. And I think it would be not, probably not go very well for Daniel. 
But the fact is, King Nebuchadnezzar knew that Daniel could tell him the dream. There was some supernatural thing happening. And therefore, he could believe the interpretation of the dream that Daniel gave him. And he was actually so astounded that he was ready to receive the instruction and the interpretation from Daniel. So, and actually, King Nebuchadnezzar ended up by saying the same thing here. He says that, you know, Daniel, your God truly is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. So, the history accounts of Daniel help us to know that he served the God of gods and, and for us today also that we serve the God of gods. And how about the prophetic revelations? I think the prophetic revelations show to us, some of them fulfilled already, show to us that God is a God who continues to reign. And He continues to reign also. He will continue to reign also over future events that are yet to come. But God has revealed what's going to happen. And why do you think God, why do you think God revealed what's going to happen, what's going to take place in future? And I want to address this question because, as I said, in the course of this sermon series, especially in November, we're going to cover a lot more prophetic revelations from Daniel. But the question is to us, what are we to make of all this? And more importantly, what do we do with all this when we hear the prophetic revelations? I think prophecy is mainly given for two reasons. Number one, so that God's people can be forewarned. And number two, that God's people can be encouraged. Now, if we look at the, the two primary audiences for this uh, prophetic revelation from Daniel, to the Jews, let's talk about the Jews first. Then later on, we'll talk about what does it mean for us. Now, to the Jews, if they knew their scripture, they would know why they are in exile in Babylon, right? Because God already told them, if you continue to reject me, I'm going to take you out of the land, right? So they should know why they are sitting, not in their own country, but sitting in somebody else's country. But God is also gracious. God had also prophesied not only that he would take them away, but he also promised that after 70 years, he would bring them back to Jerusalem and he would rebuild the temple and the city. And he also gave them the promise of a Messiah who would come to restore the kingdom of Israel. And the Jews were all looking forward to that. that after they go back to the land, they will go back to being an independent, uh, self-governing, sovereign country. But after Daniel received all these revelations from God, he realized that God was saying that this was not to be the case. Rather, Israel, as you can see from the timeline, would continue to be under the Gentile rule, right? rule of many Gentile empires and kings, over many succeeding empires before God's promised Messianic king would come to rule forever. And this only happens at the end of the age. And so the Jews had to be told this, right? So that they could be encouraged that God hasn't forgotten them. And God didn't fail to keep his promises. And in the meantime, the Jews will continue to stay faithful to God. But how about you and me? What is the message for us? And I think for us to answer that question, because we are living, as we said, towards the right 
of the screen uh, in, that comp- in that time frame there. I think to answer the question, what does the prophecy mean for us? I think it's useful to go to another more recent prophecy also. And that is the prophecy that's given by our Lord Jesus himself. In Matthew 24, it's recorded that Jesus' disciples came to him and asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In other words, they they thought that he was the Messiah, he was going to come to bring back the kingdom. When is this going to happen? And Jesus' reply adds to what Daniel has told us and gives us further insight. And basically, Jesus expands on what's going to happen towards the end. And he says, basically, a lot of bad things are going to happen. There's going to be deception, wars, famines, earthquakes, persecutions, even to death for some, and falling away of faith, betrayal, false prophets. And not only a lot of bad things, it actually says things are going to go from bad to worse. Right? There will be increase of wickedness, love will grow cold, but the gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. And actually, Jesus referred to Daniel's prophecy, right? He says that as the time goes toward the end, he says there's this person called the Antichrist who will arise and he will try to rule the world. But finally, of course, Jesus, the Son of Man, will come with power and glory and victory and he will gather his elect, that is the people of God, to himself. So Jesus told us in greater detail, he added on uh, to what is going to happen in the last days. But with that also came a forewarning, right? Because Jesus said that we shouldn't be like people who are caught off guard by these events happening, who are unprepared. And he says, keep watch and be ready. When I come again, he's basically if you read on, Matthew 24, 25, he's basically saying, when I come again, be sure that you are doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're investing the talents that I've given to you, right? And you're taking care of the poor and the needy, etc. But as we said, prophecy also brings us encouragement. And I want to end off with these three points of encouragement from us that stem from knowing that we serve the God of gods. Isaiah 46 tells us that this God of gods whom we serve, he knows the end from the beginning. It says, God says, I am God. There is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I think knowing the the end or having certainty of outcome is quite important, right? I think for those of you, or some of you, the parents, uh, children just went through PSLE. To know that something is certain is quite important. You want to be certain that your child goes into this, yeah, as we talked about just now, a prestigious school. <laughs> huh? And so therefore, we, we, some of us go through this thing called the direct schools admission, DSA, right? So we secure a place ahead of the PSLE results so that our kid can go into this particular school and we know the outcome is certain. So knowing the end is certain is important. I think there's another factor that's also important. 
you also want to know that the end turns out well, right? That it turns out good. And so, it's not only good that we know for certainty what's the end going to be, but if it turns out bad, that's worse, right? Then we're just anticipating an awful end. But we want the end to be certain, and we want the end to be good. And thank God that with Him, and we are told, right, we know that the end is both certain and the end is good. All's well that will end well for the people of God. The second point is that when we know, when we, when we realize who we serve, the God of gods, we realize that He will triumph and prevail and His kingdom will endure forever. In Isaiah, it says, the Lord foils the plan of the nations and He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of His heart through all generations. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm, it's very troubling, right? You look at all, you read all the news, and you know climate change is accelerating. Uh, there are various wars and tensions of wars, and now there are trade wars. There are citizen protests in Hong Kong. Looks like the AI and robots are, you know, in our, might come about in our lifetime, and we're wondering whether some of these awful things that happen in the sci-fi movies that we watch is going to be seen in our lifetime. And we're wondering, you know, what is going to be the impact of all this on financial markets? And what's going to happen to my retirement savings? And what's going to happen to my job with all that is going on in the world? And we have these awful politicians who don't seem to be doing the right things in big countries. So I think it is, with seeing all these things we need, it's important that we be reminded we do not need to be fearful because our God is in control and our God reigns. Troubles won't last forever. And even death for us is not the end. And ultimately, God will establish His kingdom and He will set everything right. So I think that's the second encouragement. And the last encouragement, I think, is a bit more personal. As we look at the book of Daniel, as we realize that we serve this God of gods that Daniel served, and we see Daniel's experience, we know that unlike the Babylonian, what they think of their gods, we have a God who cares about our lives. Not only is He going to take charge of the world, but He also will help us to look after our personal lives. And He has given us guidance, and He hears our prayer, and His hand also is upon our lives. And Romans 8 tells us that for those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we have his promise of this as well. As we see the story of Daniel's life, someone who put God first and sought God first, we see that he enjoyed God's protection, God's favor, and the blessing of God. But I think Daniel was also prepared that if God did not intervene, that he would still obey God because he knew that he served the God of gods and the sovereign Lord. And because he trusted also, even though he, he wouldn't have read Romans 8, but he trusted also that for those who love God, he will work out all things for their good. So may God also develop that conviction, similar conviction in us. 
Can I invite the musicians to just come up? And let's just sing that, right? So that we will really be similar like Daniel. We will be convicted that we serve the God of gods. And let's ask God that he will be our vision uh, for our lives. Let's sing that. Be thou my vision. Just rise. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night. Lord, we thank you for the book of Daniel, 
from which we see your hand at work in the lives of your servants. You hold the destiny of every man and also the world in your hands. History is your story. You change times and seasons, set up kings and rulers and depose them. Neither men nor angels will be able to thwart your purposes. And your eternal plan will unfold and your kingdom and righteousness will triumph in the end. You foreknow all things, nothing is out of your control, and you have the last word over everything. Thank you that in all things, you work for the good of those who love you. Thank you that in you, we have a blessed eternal hope and a future that ends well. We are in awe of you. We are immensely grateful. Over the next few weeks, help our hearts to be grounded and anchored in the knowledge that we serve the sovereign God and that you reign. And as we understand and appreciate more and more, help us to live faithfully following your ways. And help us not to be caught unprepared, but ready for your second coming, Lord Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you.